A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being much more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 164, and it's the story of Agnes Boker and her cat, and it's a scandal. And I wanted to tell her story during Women's History Month, because it's still Women's History Month. And we're going to talk about everything it says about society for women who fell outside of the boundaries of what was expected of them. One thing I will say right off the bat about this episode is that it's coming with a bit of a trigger warning. I'm going to talk about a story that involves um, sexual abuse, um, sexual predators, testimony that goes into detail on the birth of what was seen as a monster and potential infanticide. So if that's going to be difficult listening for you, please skip this episode. Consider yourself warned. I still think it's an important story, even with those difficult conversations that we have to have, because it tells a story about a woman and how she was seen and the resources available to her when she needed them. And it sheds a little bit of light on life for normal people in 16th century England, but it might be difficult. So there's that. First, though, I want to remind you about the Intelligent Speech Conference that's coming up on April 24th, a whole day with lots of amazing podcasters. It's all online, lots of topics being covered, and you can register for Intelligent Speech at intelligentspeechconference.com. Get your tickets there. And I have a promo code just for the listeners of this podcast. If you enter the code TUTOR when you check out, you'll get 10% off of your ticket. So, intelligencespeechconference.com, enter the code TUTOR when you register. So, I have a book called Travesties and Transgressions in Tudor and Stuart England by David Cressy. And it documents stories and scandals ranging from alleged bestiality to abortions, and lots of ridiculing of church doctrine. In the introduction, the author writes that one of his teachers at Cambridge, H.C. Porter, used to say that the history that most interested him was the history of the quirky bits. And by paying attention to curious and unusual phenomena, 
to oddities, puzzles, and aberrations, one might find a path to the past that other historians may have missed. And I think this is true, especially when we look at gender roles and the expectations of women and men, and also just looking at life for normal people, for the non-royal people, um, for the stories that we don't get written down as often. So, a story about a woman who gave birth to a cat. The British Library actually has a drawing of said cat, along with the transcripts of the event, the investigation of the event. This cat was supposedly delivered of Agnes Boker in 1569. The case became the stuff of supermarket tabloids, had they existed for a while, making it all the way up to the Queen's principal secretary, William Cecil, for consideration of the council, and also all the way to the Bishop of London to consider. There are a lot of testimonials, and we will look at them, but let's just talk about what happened to start with. There's a blog called Lady Science, and I'll link to it in the show notes at englandcast.com slash Agnes. And Lady Science writes in her blog that these testimonials provide no information about the difficulties that Boker faced as a lower-class disabled woman pregnant with an illegitimate child. Instead, the testimonials focus on the concrete, factual aspects of the cat birthing. The story is about as delicate as it gets. It includes extramarital sexual relationships, emotional manipulation, bribery, abuse, and the dubious circumstances of an unwanted pregnancy. Agnes Boker was 27. She was the daughter of Henry Boker of Harborough, and she appeared in the Archdeacon's Court on the 22nd of January, 1569, where she said the following, that she was delivered of a monster, for so she called it, the 16th day of January, between the hours of six and seven at night, and further saith that one Randall Dowley, servant to Mr. Edward Griffin, had to do with her at Braybrook, over the porter's ward at Michaelmas, was 12 months. Agnes apparently had a long-term relationship as such with Randall. She went on to explain that a cat had also had to do with her six or seven times. And when Randall forsook her in the midwinter of 1568, she wandered through the woods suicidal in a wood called Boatland and tried to hang herself with her girdle, but the girdle broke. She also managed to fall into a pond and almost drowned, but she was saved. She returned to Harborough and met with a Margaret Roos the wife of a gentleman who performed OBGYN services on an informal basis. She met with Agnes on New Year's Day in 1569, and Margaret said that she felt very odd things when she examined Agnes, who was very pregnant at this point. She felt um, things that were pointy, and she even felt something that was like a nail uh, in Agnes's belly like a, a fingernail, but like more like a claw nail is what she said. A few days later, Agnes came to her. She was already in the pangs of labor. And Margaret said that in her professional opinion, Agnes had already actually had the child and she was trying to deliver the afterbirth. Whatever it was, the labor apparently stopped and then started again eight days later where a different midwife attended to her. That other midwife was Elizabeth Harrison, potentially a competitor with Margaret Roos. Midwives were very important women in the community. I said that in an early episode on pregnancy and childbirth. Midwives were actually licensed to perform baptisms for children when it was clear that they were not going to live. They were held accountable in court for anything that went wrong or anything that was improper in the birth room. 
The records of the ecclesiastical courts provide evidence of their activities, and this case is no exception. Elizabeth Harrison said that on Tuesday, the 11th of this January, she was sent for by the wives of Harborough, Marjorie Slater being the messenger, to come to Agnes Boker being in labor. She said that she asked this Agnes, who was the father of her child, who answered it was one Randall Dowley, for he had many times the use of her body carnally. And further, she said that the said Agnes told her these tales following. Then the story comes out, which shifts depending on who is telling it, of course. We're first going to listen to what the midwife told the court that Agnes had told her. Notice that this is coming secondhand later on, and it was given to the archdeacon's court, so it is potentially edited for their ears. The midwife says, There came to Agnes diverse and sundry times a thing in the likeness of a bear, sometimes like a dog, sometimes like a man, and had the knowledge carnal of her body in every such shape. Also, she saith that Agnes Boker told her that as she walked abroad in the country, she met with an outlandish woman, a Dutch woman, and the stranger asked her the cause of her sadness. Agnes answered, I have good cause, for I am with child. Then the stranger said, Nay, thou art not with child, but what wilt thou give me? I will tell thou what thou art withal. Then Agnes said, I will give thee a penny, and so did. And the woman stranger said, Thou art neither with man-child nor woman-child, but with moon-calf. And that, though all know shortly, for thou hast gone forty weeks already, and thou shalt go eleven weeks longer. And then at the same hour the moon changeth, or thereabout, get thee women about thee, for then it shall fall from thee. What to think about this story? Was Agnes in a relationship with shape-shifting animals and Randall Dowley? 16th century science held that these things were uncommon, but not impossible. The idea of being in a relationship with a shape-shifting animal wasn't completely impossible. It was weird, it didn't happen very often, but it was potential. In a different telling of the story, the woman was Welsh. So did Agnes seek out a woman to help her through her trouble? Not sure. Remember, she was also potentially suicidal at the time, and later evidence will show that she likely suffered from epilepsy. Maybe the midwife just made the whole story up, because this is coming from the midwife. So, who knows? In the 16th century, the moon calf was a well-known motif. As Cressy writes, it was a mass of malformed tissue believed to be the fruit of forbidden relationships, faulty seed, or a vicious conception. Midwife Harrison went on to talk about the women who were with her at the delivery in order to potentially have witnesses, and she talked about how they brought forth the monster. The bottom part came first, and she said that when the women saw the strange sight, they fled, but the midwife boldened them and willed them not to go from her. And then she said to the monster thus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Come safe and go safe and do not harm. Now, in the name of God, what have we here? The court asked the women who had been present to come to the court. Six women admitted that they had helped with the delivery, but none of them could tell exactly what had happened. They all agreed, however, that they were very afraid. Joan Clement was 50. 
She said that she was going to go away, and the midwife called her back with a prayer. There was an Emma Buttrick. She was about 40, and she was by the house with her child in her arms when the monster cat was born. But she saith she dare not affirm or say it came out of Agnes's body. There was another woman, Margaret Harrison. She was 30, and she said that she was at the birth of the monster with her child in her arms, and the wives willed her to fetch a candle, for they had not light. And when she came in with the candle, she saw the monster lie on the earth, and she thinketh that it came out of Agnes Boker's womb. Finally, there was Isabel Perkins, who was about 30, and she was also present with her child. And she saw the monster when the midwife drew it from under the clothes of Agnes Boker. But it's important to look at the fact that none of these women actually saw the monster emerge from Agnes. They saw it come out from under her dress, they saw it on the floor, and it looked just like a skinned cat. Everyone agreed that there was a monster on the floor. But had Agnes actually given birth to it? So far, the story centers around the women of Harborough and what they were saying happened, with the exception of this Randall Dowley, who was potentially the father of said monster. But now the men would enter and tell us what they thought happened. They started an examination, and they tried very hard to figure out what happened. There were a couple of reasons that they really cared. The first was this whole thing made society feel very out of order. There was a potential shape-shifting animal around. Um, there was a woman giving birth to monsters. Like People needed to figure this out. There was some really spooky stuff happening, and they needed to put it in its place and figure out and, and write the weirdness that was happening, right? So the curate, Christopher Pollard, told the court that he was present when the entrail of the cat was opened. And there did he with others see and take forth straw out of the gut to the number of three or four. George Walker, he owned an inn in Harborough, and he ripped the maw of the cat, pulling it out of the body thereof, and there did he see certain meat congealed, also in the same maw a piece of bacon. So these investigators were very thoughtful in their investigation. They were practical. They wanted to turn over every stone, or in this case, every piece of bacon, to try to get to the solution. The men concluded that this was a real cat, which had recently been hanging around in Harborough, eating scraps from the town, hence the bacon. And also they brought into evidence the record of a story that Agnes had tried to borrow a cat from a neighbor just a couple weeks before. And his cat was now missing. So there's a missing cat. There's a monster who has been delivered that looks like a cat that has bacon in its belly. These are the facts so far. Getting very strange. Five days after the ecclesiastical court hearing, the secular authorities decided to listen to the case and investigate if there had been a crime that occurred. Agnes was interviewed again on February 4th. This is just about three weeks after this whole thing happened. So it's moving quite quickly. She talked about the supernatural conception, saying that a thing came onto her as she was in bed and lay the first night very heavy upon her bed, but touched her not. In the weeks following her delivery, while this investigation is going on, Agnes was in various homes in Harbor, and several women were able to see her and meet with her and talk to her. One of those women was Emma Walker, the wife of the 
innkeeper who discovered the bacon. And Emma Walker talked to Agnes on February the 10th. And she said to Agnes, look, you've got to talk, you've got to discharge your conscience. The fact that this was an unsolved mystery that could also have been a supernatural mystery was really disconcerting, like I said. They wanted it solved quickly. They didn't know if this was some kind of portent of future events that were going to happen. They wanted to know what was happening. And so they wanted to get to the bottom of it. And Walker said that she told Agnes, thou hast had a child and it is made away and this cat by some slight or sorcery is conveyed to thee. So Emma's opinion was that Agnes had had an actual baby and probably killed it, put it away somewhere, and then delivered the cat, had the cat come to her and pretended to deliver a cat. Agnes testified again on the 12th. And Anthony Anderson makes an appearance. He is the archdeacon commissary. And he records, Agnes saith that in time past, she dwelled with one Hugh Brady, sometime dwelling in Harbor and was schoolmaster. So this is a new character who's appearing now. So Agnes is living earlier, years before, with Hugh Brady, schoolmaster, sometime dwelling in Harbor. She said he was a very vicious man. And he did lie with his maids often and committed adultery with them. And she, knowing his facts, told her mistress on him. And her master therefore entreated her evil. And there the falling sickness, probably epilepsy, took her. And her mistress did send her to London to dwell because her master should no more so evil entreat her. So her mistress saw what was happening and said, you need to leave and go to London to live. So the master's not mean to you anymore. After this, she saith, she came to Braybrook and dwelt there when the Queen's Majesty came on her grace's progress thither. So the Queen's even peripherally involved in this. And being at the court gates, this Hugh Brady saw her and came to her and gave her two shillings and bade her to go to the Grange Yard and close, and he would meet her there. She saith, she went there, and he came to her and cast her on the ground and had his carnal pleasure with her and bade her be merry, and he would get her a boy, and send for her where she should live in a better state all the days of her lives. This is so sad to read. Further, she saith, he said to her, hath thy disease left thee yet? The falling sickness, has it gone away yet? No, saith she. Well, saith Brady, if thou wilt be ruled by me and not betray me, I will help thee of thy disease. There is no remedy, thou must needs have a child first, and then thy disease will leave thee, and another thing thou must do. She asked Mr. Brady what she must do further. Mary, saith he, thou must forsake God and all of his works and give thyself wholly to the devil, and within two or three years thou shalt be whole. The testimony goes on to detail this affair with Brady and Agnes, in which it was clear that he was preying on her promising to give her a child so that she would be healed of her epilepsy, promising this life to her that he was going to take care of her, and then he disappeared. By the time this investigation was going on, both Brady and Randall Dowley had left the area and were unavailable for questioning conveniently. During this little time period as well, someone had published a sensationalized account of the monstrous birth. And Anderson, the commissary, wanted to set the record straight. 
He said that he believed that the monster was definitely a run-of-the-mill cat. He even performed an experiment where he attempted to skin a cat himself to see if it would look the same as the monster, and he found that it did indeed take on the same appearance. The transcripts made it all the way to William Cecil, like I said, who turned to the Bishop of London for advice. Should any of them be concerned about these events going on in Leicestershire? Bishop Grindle, Bishop of London, decided to investigate and was skeptical that it was anything other than a simple cat, just like Anderson. This was a period still relatively early in Elizabeth's reign. The religious settlement was still new, and the idea of strange, monstrous births had actually been a genre going on for a few years already. There were stories of strange, monstrous births happening, um, both by Catholics and Protestants, being used as propaganda against each side. There was this idea that the supernatural was working against religious reform or for religious reform against Catholics, and that was something that everyone in the government was concerned about, hence the fact that this story made it to the very highest levels of government. We can look back through 400 years in modern psychology at the twisting, changing stories of Agnes and reasons why she might have had these differing accounts based on who was telling the story and who she was talking to. And we will never actually know what happened to Agnes or where the cat came from or if she gave birth to a child first. That early story where she went to the midwife, Margaret Roos's house, and said she was in labor uh, and then was in labor again eight days later. So she did not give birth to a cat. Like, that's not a thing. (laughs) Um, But where that potentially came from, I don't think we're ever going to know. But there are some really interesting pieces of Elizabethan life that we can glean from this story. First, one thing on a good note, it's really heartening to see that a single pregnant woman was able to secure the help of several midwives. There were women who were willing to help her through her travail, despite the fact that she was unmarried, that we don't know who the father was, you know, that she was traveling around with these strange stories. There were people who were willing to help her, and I think that's good. We often think about single women needing to give birth alone in a cave or something like that. Um, but this story shows us that even a downfallen, quote unquote, downfallen woman like Agnes was able to have decent medical care, which I think is a light in this very bizarre and sad story. And then David Cressy actually puts a potential feminist spin on it, which I think is an interesting way to look at it. He writes that. It's possible to venture a feminist analysis which sees Agnes Boker as a strategist and not just a victim. Her sexual promiscuity and verbal inventiveness as means of empowerment or retaliation. Though weak and vulnerable, guileful and gullible, and prone to epileptic seizures, this unmarried servant held the stage against her neighbors, accusers, and judges. Against a world of male sexual predators, male employers, and male investigators, Agnes deployed the powerful weapon of words. Her stories gave her authority and protection, deflecting charges of infanticide while distancing and manipulating men. It was she who framed the narrative, who shaped the action. She, if you like, who midwived her own text. Her female associates, friends, race women, and companions in birth gave her attention and solidarity being willing to countenance the cat story even when wondering about its truth. But Agnes's words and all the other words of women in this episode are only available to us in forms set forth by men. 
Although this record seems to bring us within listening distance of veiled female voices, we are constantly aware that the forum and the format, the historical record, were both controlled by male professional clerical and legal processes. So I think this story of Agnes Boker and the cat is, like I said, really interesting. Um, If you want to read more about it, David Cressy has written extensively on it. Um, The story of Agnes Boker's cat, as he says, takes us on a tour of the margins of Elizabethan society and culture, exposing a variety of transgressions, violations, suspicions, and doubt. So that is the story of Agnes and her cat, and we will never know exactly what happened, but uh, it is a weirdly fascinating story nonetheless. So if you want to read more, David Cressy has written a book on Agnes's cat, Travesties and Transgressions in Tudor and Stuart England, which is a really fascinating read. Um, If you want to dig into those kind of marginal stories that don't make it into the the main textbooks. Um, or onto the TV shows. So I have show notes at englandcast.com slash Agnes, where you can find these books and, and learn more about these sorts of stories. So that is it for this week. Let me know what you thought about the episode. You can get in touch through the listener support line at 8016 Tesco, or you can join the new Tudor Learning Circle, which is a free social network just for Tudor history nerds, tutorlearningcircle.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're having a good spring. Welcome spring. Hope you're having a, a good a good welcoming to the springtime season wherever you are. And I will be back again in a couple of weeks. Oh, and don't forget the intelligent speech conference. Use your code TUTOR when you sign out to get a discount. When you pay when you're checking out. That's the word. Checking out. That's signing out. Hi, hi, hi. All right. Thank you guys for listening. I will be back again in a couple of weeks. Blow northern wind, send for baby sweating. Blow northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hote board in Bauerbrick, that soul is Samley's on sea. Men's cool maiden of me, fair and freight of thunder. In all this war, fleece of one, board of blood and of bone. Never yet in Houston on road somewhere in London. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. 
Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW.